I want to just give you a little background before we jump into the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul became one of the great missionaries of the church. And he began to go out on teams and on these missionary trips. And on these trips, he established churches. He would preach many times, and there would be a church that would be established, and he'd go from town to town, city to city. And he did a number of these trips. And he would go back and sometimes on another trip and visit these churches. But one of the other things he would do is he would write letters to these churches to encourage them. Sometimes he encouraged them. Sometimes he corrected them. Sometimes he just, uh, you know, wanted to give them some uh, information. And, and so the, the, we call these letters the epistles. And uh, epistle just means it's a letter. And so what Paul is doing, doing here is, uh, in Romans, is he's writing a letter to the Christians, to the church, churches in Rome. And, and, and if you look at Romans chapter 1, you, you might want to turn there just for a minute. I mean, not for a minute, for the rest of the time we're going to be there. But notice what Paul says. This is Romans 1.1. 1, 1. It says, This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle, sent out to preach his good news. Now, when you see good news, think of gospel. Gospel, good news, good news, gospel. That's interchangeable. Because that's what the gospel is. It's good news about what Jesus has done. So this is, Paul wrote about 13 of these epistles or letters. And Romans is one of them. And we're going to look at that this weekend. Now Paul says something in Romans that is really important to us. He says, I want you to understand what the gospel is. And I, I believe, I, I just sat down this morning and I was watching TV. And I was watching a pastor up there teaching the gospel. And he was essentially saying the gospel is you need to believe in Jesus and you need to be baptized or you're not a Christian. And I don't think that's the gospel, not the gospel that I read in the Bible. And I think that there's a lot of confusion of what the gospel is. And that's what I want to talk about this weekend because Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the good news or the gospel about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. That's a really key verse. That verse and down through 18 are key verses in the book of Romans. But there's two questions that I want to try to answer this weekend. The first one is this. Why is it that so many Christians live very just powerless lives? They say, well, I'm saved, I guess, and Jesus, I can pray to him, but I just feel like it's kind of this, you know. I don't really feel like there's power in my life. I don't really feel like God's working in my life. So I want to answer, why is that? And then secondly, how can we find the power? Where do we get the power? And I think that's essentially what we want to focus on. Now, when we think of the gospel, many people, especially Christians, think, okay, the gospel's the the elementary, the beginning steps. I trust Jesus. I, I I call upon him, I confess my sins, I repent, and now because I know Jesus and he's come into my life, uh, he gave his life for me and now I give my life to him, now I'm going to go to heaven. That's the gospel, now let's move on, what's next? <laughs> you know, and many people have that. Let's move on to the bigger things, let's go to the deeper things. Uh, tell me what else I need to know, tell me about, um, well I won't go there. Um, but I think that's a tragic misunderstanding of the gospel. Because as we're going to see, it's not, it, the gospel isn't just to be saved from the penalty of sin. Uh, but it's the fundamental way we are to live the Christian life. 
Uh, the gospel is not just for non-Christians to become Christians. It's for Christians to become more like Jesus. I, I like the way Tim Keller put it. He said, the, gospels, the gospel is not the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. And that's absolutely true. Here's the biggest problem. I believe the biggest problem is we've, we've not taken the gospel and applied it to our, our, whole, our whole being, our, our heart, our mind, our relationships, our world. We, we have not done that. And that's why we live powerless lives, I think. So the first thing we want to do is, what is the gospel? Because I think it's important we understand what it is that Paul's talking about. Because he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. Well, what is the gospel? Tertullian, he was an early church father, he said this, and I think it's uh, very fitting, and we're going to spend a little bit of time kind of fleshing this out. He said, Just as Christ was crucified between uh, two thieves, so the doctrine of justification, and justification is, means to be declared right by God, it means to be in a good standing by God, uh, it's a forensic type thing. Uh, justified uh, is just that I'm in a good place with God. And he says this, So the doctrine, Jesus Christ was crucified between two thieves, so the doctrine of justification is ever crucified between two opposite errors. And what are those opposite errors? Well, that, the first one is essentially relativism, and, and, it, and it's the idea that I, I'm just going to go and live the way I want to live. I want to live the way I want to live. Or living life my way. You know that song a long time ago by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way? Pure heresy, but very pretty song. But um, I'm sorry, that may be your favorite song, and I just <laughs> destroyed that. But it is. It's a pretty song. It's a mess, though. Uh, go, to verse, go to verse 18 of uh, chapter 1. Because what Paul does here is he describes the person that says, I'm going to go my way. I'm going to go my way. And this is what it says in verse 18. God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to make, think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, instead they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Notice verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever their shameful hearts desired. Now, this is... Boy, if this doesn't speak to our American culture, um, I don't know what else does. Basically, what this is saying, Paul says there was a group that he was writing to that basically were saying, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to make decisions for myself. And uh, often people say, well, I believe in God. I think God's this way. I think he's this, this old, uh, kind of tired loving, grandfatherly kind of a guy who's going to just say, oh, come on into heaven. I don't care if you live like hell. Come on in, you know. And uh, you follow your heart. You pursue your own happiness. You, you, you go your own path. 
And uh, if there is a God, he's kind of the way I want him to be. Take all the sharp edges off and this holiness and just, just stuff. Let's get rid of that and let's pump up the loving, the kindness. Uh, he never really demands anything from anyone. And um, these, uh, this group is not convinced that God is just and that he must punish sinners. He's kind of this impersonal person. They often talk about God's love, but they don't think of themselves as sinners needing God's love. They don't think they've done anything that bad. And um, they basically, in a sense, they have taken God's love. It costs nothing because nothing, there's nothing for God to forgive. And there's little or no talk about the cross. The cross isn't important. Why? Because I don't need a cross. I mean, I'm a pretty good person. Now, that guy needs the cross, but not me. And, and to say, well... Um, it, if you want to talk about the cross, it's nothing more than an illustration of servanthood. Jesus is a good person, but let's not go crazy here. And that's the group Paul's describing here. They did their own thing. They believed what they wanted. They made their own gods. And, and, and one of the saddest parts of that verse, the passage there, is it says, and God let them go their own way. God gave them over. What a sad thing for God to give you over. Now, Paul says a couple of really important things in this passage we just read. He says, number one, no one is without excuse. Everyone on this planet has evidence of God. They have two evidences. One, within our own hearts, our own conscience, we know within ourselves that there is something bigger outside of us, beyond us, greater than us. We know that. And we know that there's an ultimate right and wrong. We know that within us. Everybody knows that. That's the conscience. That's the, the God print that we all have. But more than that, Paul says, but there's an external witness. You look at the stars, you look at the skies, you look at the, the world around us and you say, there must be an artist behind this. I mean, if you walk into a gallery, you say, well, who's the artist here? What, the, what artist? Oh, I like that artist. What are you saying? You're saying, that person made that piece of art. Well, when you look at creation, God, basically what Paul's argument is, how can you look at this art and not think there's an artist behind it? But the sad part about it is that when we are bound and determined to go our own way, to do our own thing, God says, okay, I'll let you go that way. But that way leads to destruction. Now, there's a lot of people that are on that path. And they don't have the power of the gospel. Paul says they don't have the power of the gospel because you've walked away from it. You see, a, a person that holds this view basically ex believes that God accepts them because he's this welcoming and that we're not so bad. They don't need a cross. They don't need a savior. Jesus is merely a moral example. But the concept of God's love in the gospel is far more rich. It's far deeper. It's far more electrifying. Uh, there is no power in the gospel if God willingly forgives everyone uh, and, there's no, and there's no penalty of sin. Think about that for a minute. You say, well, why, why doesn't God just forgive and forget? I mean, why does he have to hold a grudge? You know, think about that. Be consistent. If you hold that view, be consistent. If somebody says something or hurts you or does something to your family, are you going to say, you know what, I'm just going to let it go? I mean, most of us would, you know, most of us are, are, are annoyed by the littlest things that people do to us that we want them to be punished or 
we want to get back at them. And you say, and God's not vengeful. It's not the vengeful thing, but think about us. I mean, in other words, what we're saying is when there's some things that have been done that are terrible things, there needs to be punishment. There needs to be a stopping of it. In other words, sin must be punished. You just overlook it. You understand that. But God's love is extravagantly demonstrated as Jesus gave His very life for us. He did this, why? Because He is just and sin must be punished. Jesus did it because He had to. Because we desperately needed it. But He did it because He wanted to. And that's the power of the Gospel. And that gets lost when you say, well, I'm not so bad, or God forgives everyone. Or I'm inventing God in my own image. You see, the Gospel shows us that only God's love can overcome our sin. That, so that's the first error that Tertullian is, is expressing. This, this, this whole idea that we kind of go and we make it up as we go along. The second one is legalism. And that is the idea that uh, the Gospel is a matter of following some rules. Now, I want want you to turn over to uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says this in verse 1 of uh, chapter 2. You may think, and, and, and here in the context, he's speaking to his Jewish audience. And he's saying to the Jewish people who have the law and that they're God's chosen people, he's saying, you guys think you're okay, don't you? <laughs> you think just because you're God's people, it's all right. And he says this to them. You may think you can condemn such people, talking about those that make up their own laws and go their own way, the Gentiles, the Greeks. But you are just as bad, and you have no excuse when you say they are wicked and should be punished. You are condemning yourself, for you judge, uh, you who judge others do the very same things. And we know that God, in His justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment yourself. Now, Paul is saying to the Jews, you think you're special, you think you're God's chosen people, and you are. You have God's law, and you're looking down upon the Greeks, the Gentiles. You're thinking, well, we're better than them. And uh, you have, you know what, it's interesting, because they have the same attitude as many, many conservative churches today. Evangelical churches today. You may have been raised in a, a church or been part of a church. Um, and here's how it goes. Basically, there are a lot of churches out there today that basically say, you have to follow this list of do's and don'ts. Most of the time, they're don'ts. Okay? And it goes like this. Don't drink. Don't dance. Don't play cards. Don't smoke. Don't chew tobacco. Don't go to movies. And if you're a woman, don't wear pants. You think I'm joking. Some of you are. No, I'm not joking. I mean, there are churches out there that basically teach. And you can have 
other lists. You, you know, the nasty nine or the dirty dozen or the satanic seven, whatever the list you want to call it. But basically, the gist of it is, as long as you keep these things, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go with girls that do, you know, all the different stuff. But that's, a, that's such an old joke. It really is so bad. I, I Edit that off, would you, later on? But, but the, point, the point I want you to see is this. We have our lists, and you may be here and think, I'm good with God because I'm keeping the list. I'm behaving properly. I'm following the rules. You know, there's two sons in the prodigal son, you know, the Luke 15. And the one son represents Romans 1. He kind of went off and did his own thing. You know, it was like, I'm going, I'm leaving, give me what I want. And then there was the older boy who was there. And he followed the rules, baby. He was there, he was working hard, and he told his dad as much. And you know, the end of the parable was, they were both lost. They were both lost. See, here's what I found. If you boil the gospel down to keeping a list of rules, do's and don'ts, you can become pretty proud and you can become pretty judgmental. You can get an attitude of saying, look at me, look at how good I am. Thank God I'm not like them. I remember a guy that went into a temple and prayed one day that way. Lord, thank you that I do this and I do this and I do this and thank God I'm not like that guy. And his face was in the ground and he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, two men went into the temple that day. One man came out justified. See, that's what legalism does. If you think you can have a relationship with God because you're following the rules or living a moral life, you're missing out on the true gospel. If you hear nothing else that I say this weekend, would you please hear this? Because we default to this legalism. We absolutely default to it. And here's what you need to hear. God does not accept you because you of your good behavior. God does not accept you because of your good behavior. Please understand that because I have talked to so many people that say, if I were to say, hey, how's things going? How do you feel you're doing with God? Well, not so good. And, you know, I, but I'm doing better than others, you know. And you say, well, do you think you're going to, you know, if you're dying, you go with God? Well, I hope so. I mean, I go to church. I believe in God. I do. What are they describing? Look at my good behavior. God is not going to accept you because of your good behavior. That's legalism. How does legalism, how does religion steal the power from the gospel? Well, it, it basically says you're acceptable to God because of your accomplishments, because of your keeping whatever list of rules, because of your behavior. But legalism will never go to the depths of my own sin. See, I'm always comparing myself to other people. I'm saying, well, I keep the rules better than you. So I'm comparing myself to others on, on a random set of rules in legalism i earn my salvation there's no joy there's no amazement there's no tears or brokenness legalism will never transform my heart oftentimes legalists view god as very holy and just but here's what legalism does Legalism, legalism leads to two things. Number one, it leads to me hating myself. Why? Because I can't live up to the standards. 
I can't live up to them. Secondly, legalism leads to self-inflation because I think I am leading, <laughs> living them. Legalistic people aren't characterized by the gospel's transforming power. They aren't. Now, let me just say one other thing. You may be here and you say, you know, I have had a real problem with Christianity. I've had a real problem with Christians and Christian churches because they think they're all that. They think they've arrived. They, they think they're better than other people. And, uh, and many times, it's, and, and Christians, many times it's because they have characterized, Christianity has been characterized, the gospel has been characterized as keeping a set of rules, as a certain uh, kind of a behavior. Most people who think they've rejected Christianity, though, they haven't. They've rejected legalism. They've rejected religion. They haven't yet heard the gospel. I want to challenge you this weekend to hear the gospel for the first time. That go, the gospel isn't going your own way and doing your own thing and inventing God the way you want it. And it is also isn't following a set of rules that has been determined by any church. God doesn't accept you because you keep the rules better or because you have good behavior. Good behavior will not get you into heaven. Let's talk about what the real gospel is. Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 3. Jump over to Romans 3.21. I want to read a few verses here. Paul says this, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. If you have a pen, please underline that verse. If you have it on your thing, please. That is the gospel there. It is describing how it happens. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We're not made right with God by being baptized. We're not made right with God by going to church. We're not made right with God by just believing that He's there. We're not made right by God by just doing the certain things and not doing certain things. We are made right by God through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say this. We are made right by God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned and falls short. Uh, have, have, all, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedded His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. Verse 26, For He was looking ahead and including them in what He would do in the present time. God has demonstrated His righteousness for He Himself is fair and just and He declares sinners to be right in the sight, in His sight when they believe in Jesus. So how, what is the Gospel? Paul is saying that the relativist uh, is wrong because the relativist basically says God's not going to judge anyone. This clearly says God is going to judge. He's going to judge sin. 
and you have a sin problem and you got to get figure out how you're going to take care of it and you can't take care of it so the relative is wrong but the legalist is wrong because they say it's all about your effort it's all about your behavior it's all about what you do and paul says no it's not it's not what you do it's what jesus has done for you there's only one way that a person can be made right with God, and it's through the sacrifice of Jesus. Religion operates on the principle, and hear this because it's so important you hear this. Religion operates on the principle. Legalism operates on the principle that says this. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I'm accepted by God because I obey. The gospel says this. I am accepted because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, I am accepted. And I obey. You get those wrong and you, you, you miss the gospel. Paul says the gospel is different from both relativism and legalism. We're not made right with God through our own efforts or record as in legalism, but through the record and efforts of Jesus. Christians are those who in Christ for their acceptance with God who trust in Christ for their acceptance with God rather than their own moral character. So what is the gospel? Let me summarize it very quickly. The true gospel tells us that we are far from God. That's what it says. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short. We're all sinners. We're helpless and we're hopeless. We're sinful. The true gospel tells us that God can't and won't overlook sin. There will be a judgment. And we can't solve our sin problem. There's nothing we can do. We, we can't self-save ourselves. Can't do it. The true gospel tells us that God has sent Jesus, His Son Jesus, to pay the price for our sins once and for all. His sacrifice on the cross did two things. And it's really important you hear this. That God's judgment for our sin came down on Jesus. And He took our sin. He took the penalty of our sin on the cross. And now our sin is taken away by Jesus. But more than that, His righteousness is given to us. So when God sees us, He sees not our sin, but the righteousness of Jesus. There's a transfer that takes place. The true gospel tells us that we are loved and accepted by the Father because of the sacrifice of His Son. Christians who have received the gospel know that they are simultaneously, this is such a critical truth of the, Christian, uh, of the true gospel, that we are sinful yet accepted at the same time. We are sinful yet accepted at the same time. Again, Tim Keller says this, and I've said it to you before, and I want to say it one more time. It's in your notes. We are more flawed and sinful than we ever dared believe, yet we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope at the same time. We're sinners we're sinners than we'd ever care to admit, but we're more loved than we ever dreamed we could be. And, and that's the gospel. You have to have both sides of the coin. If you don't understand your own sinfulness and your own lostness and your own helplessness, then you can become judgmental. But when you understand how broken you are and how lost you are and how needy you are and that Jesus came graciously and gave His life because He had to because we're sinners, because He wanted to, because He loved us, when you put all of that together and you truly get the gospel and you begin to gaze on that gospel, it has incredible implications, not just for your salvation, but for the rest of your life. See, the gospel isn't just about you getting to heaven. The gospel is about life transformation. 
So what I want to do, I just have a couple of minutes. I want to share with you, how do you apply the gospel? And, and I don't have time to do a lot, but I'll do very quickly. How do you apply the gospel to your life? I mean, once you say, Jesus, I'm lost, I'm helpless, and I'm helpless, you're my only hope. I ask you to come into my life and take my sin. Uh, you, you gave your life on the cross for me. You took, take my sin. Give me your righteousness. Give me new life. I give my, as you gave your life to me, I give my life to you. And I don't know what that means, but I want to begin a journey with you today. And as you pray something, a prayer, something like that, and God knows your heart and all that, I, you do that. You'll, you, there'll be a transformation. There'll be a, a, a new start. You'll receive His Spirit, and, and a new transfer, an inner transfer, transformation will take place. But here's here's the part I want you to see. As you take the gospel and you begin to meditate on it, you begin to reflect on it, you begin to, to think about it and read the scripture that talks about the the components of the gospel, it will it will change your heart. It will change your life. And 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 so let me give you an example of how we apply that. Why do we lie? You ever lie? Should I have said, did you lie this week? <laughs> no, think about it. Why do you lie? Uh, religion. If, if you're following religion, if you're following legalism, and it's easy for a Christian to fall into legalism, okay? It, one of the reasons I lie is because uh, I, 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 if I lie, I, I don't want to lie because if I lie, God's going to punish me. So my motivation is fear. I don't want to lie out of fear. Or I may lie because I'm a good Christian and good Christians don't lie. So therefore, I don't want to lie because I'm a good Christian and good Christians don't lie. What's my motivation there? Pride. Really? Well, how do you, how do you stop lying? When you, when you want to deal with lying or any other sin or any other issue, you have to really get below the surface. The question is, why do we lie? We lie generally, not all the time, but generally, we lie to save face. We lie because we're concerned that if the person that we're lying to knew about us, we'd either fearfully be rejected or get in trouble or some other reason. So we're, we're really, we're more concerned. We're so concerned about saving face with another person. We're so concerned about our reputation, our perceived reputation, rather than who we really are, that many of us wear a mask. We lie about a lot of things. We think if they know the truth about me, they would think less of me. They might even reject me, reject me so we lie. Essentially, what it comes down to is we care way, way, way too much about what other people think and not enough about what he thinks. That's what it comes down to. We are looking for human approval over the approval of God. We are saying to ourselves, I must have the approval of this person to be happy rather than the approval of God. Well, how do you stop lying? Well, you, devo- you develop a new appetite, a new thirst for the approval of God. You begin to reflect on biblical passages that ta- speak of our acceptance by God. We look at how loved we are by Him. Even though He knows our... Do you know this? God knows your deepest, darkest thoughts and actions. He knows what you do when you're in another city. He knows what you're thinking when somebody says, what are you thinking? And you don't want to tell them what you're thinking. He knows everything about you. He knows you. And He, he still loves you and accepts you. Paul says this in Romans 5.8. He says this, God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. See, He knows the worst 
And he still accepts you. And he still loves you. What I'm saying here is this. When you begin to understand the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth and created you in his image, the God of the universe who sent his son, the the son of God who gave his life for you, when you understand that that God loves you and accepts you and knows every dirty, dark thing about you, and you begin to bask in that, you start to think, maybe I shouldn't care what other people think. Maybe I should care what he thinks. Right? Right? It's like this. If you're an adult, hopefully you're kind of an emotionally healthy adult and you're walking your child to school and a little seven-year-old kid says, looks at you and says, you're stupid. Hopefully you wouldn't go, really, am I? Oh, really, why do you think that? You know, mo- hopefully you'd go, it's a dumb little seven-year-old. What does he know? <laughs> right? Compared to God, and God, what does God say? You're my son, you're my daughter, I love you. Is that enough? Is that enough? But the gospel has to be applied to all areas of our lives. It has to be applied to, uh, uh, the gospel tells us, what does the gospel tell us? It, it, what, what will it help us when we apply it? It will help us when we're discouraged. It will help us when we're struggling in relationships. It will help us when we're suffering. It will help us when we, when we be, how, how we're to behave in our family. It will help us in the area of self-control. It will help us in the area of, of respect for, uh, for those. That, have you ever walked in a job and said, I hate this job. I hate my boss. I said, would you ever go into your job thinking you're going in and you're working for him? You're worshiping him? Husbands, have you ever thought of loving your wife as an act of worship to God when you don't feel like it? Say, I'm going to love this woman, and she's not very lovely right now, or I'm going to love this man, and he's not very lovely right now, but I'm going to do it as an act of worship to you because you so love me, and your love is overflowing in my heart so much that I've got to do it. See, that changes everything. What you're doing now is you're applying the gospel to every area of your life. Now, I want to give you a prayer. We're going to close in this prayer. And I know I'm, I'm hurrying through this, but I think the prayer that's in your bulletin will help you to think through what does it mean to apply the gospel to my life? See, the gospel isn't just about going to heaven. It's not just about praying a prayer and saying, Jesus, now I'm in heaven. It's about taking the truth of what God has said about us and allowing it to just flood our lives. Would you bow with me and pray silently as I pray these words out loud? Father, because of Jesus, there's nothing I can do that would cause you to love me more. Because of Jesus, there is nothing I can do that would cause you to love me less. Your presence with me and approval of me are all I need. They're all I need for everlasting joy. And you have been so gracious and forgiving to me. And because you have been so gracious and forgiving to me, I will be that to others. As I pray, I remember your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. Amen.